my name is Serena and I'm going to be reading today from Acts 17 verses 16 to 32. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he, give, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. This is God's word. So last week I, I made a confession to you that sort of provided the basis of our conversation last week and this week and the next couple of weeks, and that is that I realized uh, a little bit over time that, um, that I just wish everybody was like me, that a lot of the conflict that I have in my life, and, and, I, and I sort of suggested that maybe you might uh, be not that different from me, is that a lot of the conflict that we have in our lives is because we just wish everyone else would think like we do. And we sometimes might even come out and say, why, if I was you, I wouldn't ever. Why don't you think like this, or why didn't you do that? And that, that kind of behavior and that mentality actually marks a lot of our frustration with the people closest to us. We just wish they would think like this or act like this. It marks our frustration with our employers. Man, if I was running this company, I would da-da-da-da-da. If I was running this country, da-da-da-da-da. That all of us actually have this instinct, and we don't say it out loud like that, but it actually provides a lot of the um, basis for the conflict and frustration that we have in the world around us. And so, uh, we think that the solution is to say, well, let's just live and let live. Let's not worry too much about what other people do. And we live kind of in a culture in a day when it's like, well, you know what? You do your thing, I'll do my thing, I'm not going to worry about you. Forget you, you do your own thing, I'm going to do mine. 
And that way I can get away from this sort of instinct or this desire that I have to manipulate you and make you think like I do. However, the problem with that, as I pointed out last week, is that especially in the people that we're closest to, family, siblings, parents, children, spouse, loved ones, close friends, that if we actually don't want them to change, it sort of means we don't actually love them. Because every one of us has things in our lives that need to change. And, and if I don't care enough about you, or the people closest to me, who maybe are battling addictions of substance, food, worry is an addiction, if I don't care about you and, and whether you get free of those, every one of us is going through something that maybe fear cr cripples us in taking steps that we need to take. Or perhaps a way of thinking that is sabotaging our lives and constantly tripping us up. Or a way of acting that is actually blowing up the relationships around us. And if I say to you, whatever, you live life your own way. Ultimately, that just means I don't care enough about you to say anything about it. If we really love people, we want them to change. Not because we want them to think like us, but we want them to be free. We want them to be their best selves. We, want, we don't want them to live in self-destructive patterns of thought and behavior. So what do we do? We're caught in this dynamic of sort of saying, well, I can't change people. I can barely change myself. And yet I should want the people around me to change because I love them. Many people accuse religion of, of being in this place, of judging people for the way they are and wagging the finger at them to tell them they should change and they should be better people. That religion is basically sort of propagation of whatever set of morals that religion subscribes to and says, well, people should be like this. And, you know, justifiably so we have accused religion of that. If you look at the history, it doesn't matter what religion, Christian religion or any other religion in that sense actually adopts that value because religion says do this and you'll get this result and if you don't do this you're going to get this therefore how can we and if you look at history it just does seem that religion in many ways has been used to control people and shape their behavior and make people like them and yet what we find is actually god himself the story of scripture is far from an issue of trying to control people to make them think a certain way. One of the opening premises of scriptures realizes God is entirely happy in and of himself. He needs nothing from us. He doesn't need us to change to be happy. He doesn't need us to change to feel like he's in control. He's in control. He made the whole world. He gives life. He takes it away. He doesn't need anybody to tell him you're powerful. That if God needs nothing from us, then actually his relational, relational involvement in our lives is because he loves us and he wants us to change for our sakes because he wants something for us and needs, some, needs nothing from us. And what we actually find is that the church, the, the collection of God's people, is not sent out into the world or birthed in the world to go around wagging our finger. And a few weeks ago when we were talking about marriage, sex, and singleness, we said ultimately it's not the church's job to judge the world. The church holds itself as the family of God to the, the design of God, but really with the rest of the world, how do we interact with people all around us and say, well, I don't believe in what you believe and just let live and let live. We say, well, actually, if we love people, we want something for them. How does that work? Well, we find in scripture, and I gave you the analogy last week that a, a pastor writer who said as he grew up in a farming community in Iowa said that when um, 
extension agents which were hired by the state to help farmers get better at what they were doing would come in with these new technologies of uh, seed or of farming equipment and all, invariably all the, the, the farmers who have been doing this for decades would say, no, no, we're not interested in that. So one of the things these extension agents would do is buy a plot of land that was quite in, in public on the main uh, thoroughfare, the main street, and they would use all of the new technology in this plot of land. And it was a demonstration plot. And so the other skeptical farmers would watch and see and what would happen and through the summer and then the fall, they're very interested to see, well, what kind of harvest? And invariably the new technologies would perform better. And he said, my father and everybody else by the next year was using all of that stuff as if it was their own idea. And he said this, that the church is God's demonstration plot in the world. The church is a culture within the culture it is a city within the city that, that is adopting the ways of God and in a sense is living out in the open for everyone to see that those who otherwise might be leaning away and say, I'm not interested in this, skeptical about God, I wrote off, I was hurt by the church, all this stuff, might actually lean in and say, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because there's something in your life that I want. I, I want to have peace like that. I want to have joy like that. I want to have relational wholeness like that. I want to be someone who's humble like that. I want to be someone who's, who's, you know, asks for forgiveness, is able to say sorry. I want to be someone who isn't ruled by their money or by possessions and doesn't care so much about exactly what they look like but is interested in other people. How come you're like that? Can you tell me more about this Jesus? That that's the role of the church. We are the demonstration plot. We don't need to go around wagging our finger at people, but we adopt the ways of God into our own lives and live out loud, in a sense, on display, so that a world that otherwise might be cynical, uninterested, leans in and says, I'd like to know more. It is, in that sense, the new normal that the book of Acts, which is the, the history of the first community of people, the first demonstration plot, in a sense, describes for us what are the marks of this community that lives as a counterculture within the culture? What does it mean to be a church who lives out the new normal? And it's actually, as we said in this series, it's something we're meant to live and give away. By our lives, we are living an alternate reality, an alternate lifestyle that hopefully is compelling enough to the cynics, the curious, the hopeful around to say, I want to know more. Last week, we said one of the marks of the new normal is selfless community. And we talked about humility marking our lives as we're generous with our lives with one another. And today, we're talking about bold witness. This idea of bold witness, it's actually about this idea of sharing our faith with other people. Now, I know as soon as I say that, everybody gets a little bit uncomfortable. Those of you that are maybe here and you're kind of exploring the faith, you're like, yeah, see, this is what I do not like about Christians, they're about religious people. Why do they always have to try to convince everyone else? But we started with this whole premise saying this isn't about trying to make people like us. This is about a desire to love people and see them experience the freedom and joy that we want to have for ourselves. But those of you that are people of faith, you might say, yeah, I just, I don't really know how to do that. I've never had good experience. I don't really like talking to, to people about this. And maybe you had a bad experience. Maybe you grew up in a, in a home or you, you, um, you were friends with someone or you hung around people that were really always trying to shove Jesus into every conversation. You're like, I never liked that. It always made me feel uncomfortable. Maybe you felt like you, that was like on, shoved on you as you grew up. And so you left the faith for a while. And so now you're coming back and you're like, yeah, but I don't know how this whole sharing my faith works. It makes me a little bit nervous that this is supposed to be a mark of the new normal, the community. The extremes that people go to 
It's either thinking that we need to control everyone and change everyone, I need to tell everyone about Jesus, or the opposite, which is to think, well, because my faith is personal, it's also private, and therefore I don't need to tell anyone about this. Neither of those extremes are actually what we find in the history of the church. What we find over and over again, 13 times in this book, is the word witness. And the word witness essentially, it, it means exactly what you think it means, it, what, what it means in a court of law, what it means, and the connotation that, that, that the, of the Greek word witness that is used here is both someone who's giving a, a testimony kind of in the court of law, but just someone who's recounting the facts of an event. The word witness and the, the fact that the early church was set apart as people who were witnesses, they were essentially witnesses to the Christ event. They were witnesses to a series of historical facts, a story that had happened in front of their eyes. The life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They were very simply people who gave a verbal account of the Jesus they had encountered. That's what the word witness meant. And we see it all in men and women, and they did it in very different ways because they were all different people. And the stories are all different of the individuals and, what, and the way they told that story, but the heart of it was the same. Jesus has come. God is not far off from us, wound up the world, set it in motion, zapping everyone who gets out of line. God is not up there with his holy standard saying, if you don't meet this, you can't know me, but instead he says, I know you can't meet my standard. I'm not staying up here waiting for you to get it right. I'm coming down into your world in the person of Jesus to lift you up to where I am. This is the message of good news, and it came in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the witnesses in the early church were simply people that said, let me tell you about what has just taken place, what has just happened. That was very simply what it meant to be a witness, and men and women did that all over the place. Now, I know for some of us, we might think, well, those were, these are kind of like, like the Apostle Paul, so one of the stories, was one of the ones people who had a Jesus encounter, and then he went everywhere else telling everyone about what had happened to him and how, he, how Jesus had changed his life. And you can look at those, and, and in some, some uh, uh, aspects of the church, we call these people saints. And what that does, unfortunately, it takes them and puts them in this other category and says, well, that, that was St. Paul or St. Peter, and I can't act like that. I, I can't really uh, communicate like that. But actually, if we read the, the, the account that Serena read for us, actually lays out a pathway for every single one of us to know how do I actually boldly tell the story of what Jesus has done in my life. Essentially, I want to leave you with this, if you can remember this, that witness is, are the words of a wise watcher. The words of a wise watcher. That's what it means to be a witness. A wise watcher is someone who is immersed in the culture that they're in. Now look, look at these verses from, uh, from this passage where Paul, look at all the ways he was, it says he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. He was observing all around him and it was moving him. He was aware of what was going on in the culture. It said he reasoned day by day with those who happened to be there. In other words, he was just hanging around in that city with people who were hanging around in the city. He made this observation, people of Athens, I can see that in every way you were religious. He knew the culture. He had immersed himself in it. He knew specific things about them. He said, I even found this altar with an inscription to an unknown God, and then he knows some of their poets. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul, in that sense, was 
looking in the culture where he was for where God was already at work. And he was observing keenly, what do I see around me? What are these people looking for? What are they longing for? The city was full of idols. In other words, these people are all about worshiping gods. They're very interested in worship. In fact, they even have this curious altar to an unknown God. So they're trying to cover all their bases. And maybe he observed a little bit of fear. Like they don't even know in case we missed, they had, a, they had so many gods, but in case we missed one, here's the one to the unknown. And so that if that God ever shows up and say, hey, he never worshiped me. No, no, we did, we did, remember? We had this idol to the unknown God. That was you, we just didn't know. They, were, they were wanted to worship. There were these people who had this desire to worship and they were trying to cover all their bases. He even knew some of, what, some of their poets. And a couple times he quotes when he says, in, in him we move and have our being and we are his offspring. He was quoting some of their prophets or their, their poets. So he knew the culture. Paul had immersed himself in this culture. He was a wise watcher. He was paying attention to what was going on. He didn't just unconsciously live and adopt the culture of Athens, but he was in it, looking around, having conversation, and observing. But this wise watcher also had words, and his words were about Jesus. And in this sense, he wasn't just immersed in the culture, he was challenging it. It says Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Very simple sermon. This is who he is. This is what we know. This is what has happened. He says you have an altar to the unknown God, but then he says something very provocative. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. He challenged the culture. You want to worship this God, but you don't even know who he is, and this is what I'm going to tell you about. This is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And he says this, God himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He is not far from any one of us. And he has given proof of this by raising Jesus from the dead. Paul was not only a wise watcher immersed in the culture, but he gave, he had words to say about Jesus. They were bold words. He challenged the culture that he observed. He says, you, I see you're very religious. You're even worshiping a God you don't know. Let me tell you about the God you don't know. His name is Jesus. And he gives them this message about Christ. Now, what was the result? Some sneered at him. Some listened to this story about Jesus, this God-man, dead and raised to life, and they mocked him. Others said, I'd like to know more. Did, as Paul immersed himself in the culture, St. Paul, with this amazing sermon, how did people respond? Some people were like, ridiculous. Other people were like, eh, interested to hear more. Doesn't sound like amazing results. Why? Because a miracle was needed. They heard him, but just hearing the words didn't change them. Some thought it was utterly ridiculous, and other people were intrigued. I'd like to know a little bit more. Friends, this is actually the pathway for us as we understand what does it mean to be a witness to Jesus in the culture that I live in. It means that we actually have to know the culture we live in. We have to be paying attention. Some of us live unconsciously in the culture we live in. We adopt all of the ways and values of the culture. We just, we just, we're like the, the proverbial frog in the boiling pot of water just sort of absorbing whatever's happening around us. But, but the, the lifestyle of Paul was saying, listen, actually, you are in this culture, but be wise. What do you see? It said when Paul walked around the city, he saw that the city was full of idols. And friends, the same is true for us. What do you see as you walk around this culture? 
What do you see in your workplaces? What do you see in your homes, in your neighborhoods? We see a city full of idols. And by that I mean we live in a world that longs to worship. We don't have really gods of stone and wood anymore, but what are the gods that we worship? Money, significance, control, satisfaction, approval, being valued in the eyes of the world, of social media, or whoever is of utmost importance to us to that they would think that we are a person of utmost importance. Do you understand, do you see that there is a longing to worship in all of the people that you are living with? There is a longing to love and be loved. It's easy to look at our culture and think, why do they waste their time on this and these people are so greedy and everybody's materialistic and all that kind of stuff. No, there is a longing. It is a city full of worshipers who are wanting somebody to tell them they're okay, somebody to tell them they're beautiful, somebody to tell them they're significant. They want to be able to feel in control of their lives and their destiny. They, they, it, it keeps them up at night feeling like something might happen that would leave them out of control of what's happening in their finances, in their family, in their job, in their health. And you can see it. Someone you know close to you is devastated right now because of a health issue they're going through. Why? Because the very thing that they are counting on for the sense of stability and well-being, they're not just disappointed, they're falling apart at the prospect of maybe having a disease or a loved one around them hurting. Does this make them bad people and you should judge them? No, it's an observation that says every one of us wants to feel stable and we cannot actually count on our health to get that. Every one of us wants to feel secure and we can't actually count on our RSPs to deliver that for us. Every one of us wants to be significant and we can't actually count on our employer or our circle of friends to tell us we're good, beautiful, okay. We live in a city full of idols. We ourselves are prone to worship at the same feet of these gods. We need to be a culture that is wise, that is watching, that understands. If you look at the movies that are out and the songs that are written, you will see threads of a desire to know God all the way through them. It's just like Paul said, some of your own poets have said, do we know the meanings of the songs that are being written, what our poets are saying? And we're able to say, you know that song? <laughs> you know about the wrecking ball? Do you just see these are, uh, these are cries out of desperation saying, what has happened to my life? Why is it that I can't seem to get to where I want to get? And at every turn, things are falling apart. Our music and our art is way more honest now than it was 20 years ago. We know the disappointment in relationships, in money, in success, in a love that we can't ever seem to find. And our own poets are saying it. Are we watching it? Are we seeing it and saying, there is a longing to worship God all over the culture around us. Do we know it? Are we able to spot it? Are we close enough to people in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces to see and know the longings of their own heart? This is what it means to immerse ourselves in the culture, and yet it also means that we must tell our Jesus story. Many of us struggle and say, well, I don't know how to, people have all these kinds of questions. The witness you have in your heart is what Jesus has done for you. You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't have to know all of scripture. You don't have to know anything except to say, well, all I know is that Jesus has changed my life. I too have the same longings as you. I'm just like you. No, I'm not a religious person, a good person. I'm a Jesus person. I'm someone who has understood all of these other gods 
cannot deliver what I'm looking for. The hole in my heart is way too big for any job, any loved one, any amount of money to fill it. And I've understood that. I've come to know that only Christ can do that for me. That's the Jesus story we have. That is what we are giving witness to. No, you didn't see him with your own eyes, but as you understand how he has changed your life, that is the message you have. And so we not only need to be immersed in the culture, but challenge the culture and say, I know what you're looking for because I'm looking for it too, and it's not found there. Are we bold enough and willing enough and loving enough to the people closest to us to say, I know what you're looking for, I'm looking for it too, but can I just say, it's not found there. Can I tell you what I found? It is as simple and bold as that. And yet we have to be immersed in the culture enough to know the longings and the hearts of the people around us and bold enough to say, I don't have all the answers, but can I just tell you about Jesus? Because he has changed my life. Because I'm just like you. I have the same longings, have the same desires. I have a heart that has a capacity to worship that is far bigger than anything I can shove in it. And I found that only Christ can give me that depth of longing and peace to love and be loved. And then we pray for a miracle. Some of us have gotten so discouraged with the people that we have told about Jesus and we're expecting to have a better track record than St. Paul did. Well, as far as I can tell from this story anyways, half of Paul's audience thought it was ridiculous and sneered at him and the other half said, well, I'm interested. We're thinking that every time, well, okay, if I, if I can just work up the nerve, I'm, I'm just gonna tell these people about Jesus and I'm expecting them to go, oh, that's amazing, I'll take that. You're not selling something that someone can just pull money out of their pocket and sure, that's Jesus, I'll buy that. It's a miracle needed. The only reason you have had an encounter with Jesus is because of a miracle that happened in your life that only God can do. Only God can open your eyes to see all these other things I'm chasing, they're bankrupt. All these other, this, this money, this importance, this love of myself, I can't actually love myself. There's too many things I know about myself. I actually have to know a love that's bigger and deeper than my own. And no amount of great performance reviews or job opportunities or money or success or beauty or whatever I have, it's not enough. Only, the only reason you know that is because God opened your eyes to see it. And so you don't approach people with an air of superiority and thinking, well, let me tell you what I know. It's just saying, let me tell you about the miracle that happened in my life. I could never have made it happen. And so we immerse ourselves in the culture and we challenge the culture. We, we are wise watchers who have words about Jesus and then we pray for a miracle. And we pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And I always say, God, I do not deserve anything you have given me. There's nothing in my life that, I'm, that I was born in this part of the world, that I was born into a family that pointed me to Jesus, that had people that came alongside me that helped me see who he was and that you did a miracle in my life. I didn't do anything to deserve it. So if you did it for me for no reason, you can do it in someone else's life. We boldly share the words about Jesus and we pray for a miracle. We see this in, you know, 2,000 years ago in the story of Paul. And over and over again in the book of Acts, this is played out, people saying, well, I don't, I don't have everything to give you, but I, well, I'll give you what I do have, and this is the Jesus that I know. And we pray for a miracle. And you find over and over and over in the history of the book of Acts, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed for miracles. I know there are people who prayed for miracles in my life. 
there are people that prayed for miracles in your life you may not even realize who was praying for you all that time. You may say, okay, well, that's, that's the book of Acts 2,000 years ago. I want you to listen to a story of how this happened in a, a 21st century story of someone who spoke the words of Jesus and God did a miracle in another person's life. I show you that story because I think it's a beautiful illustration of a very simple witness. The words of a wise watcher. Someone who was doing their life with Jesus just flowing out of them. And in that moment of someone asking them, what is your deal? They just simply gave a witness about the reality of Jesus. And to the ears of the person who heard, you heard him say, it was utterly ridiculous. Friends, our life in Christ is one that is meant to be so filled up with Jesus that he just flows out of us. Not because we're perfect people, not because we have it all together, not because we never worship at the feet of the same idols that our culture works at, not because we're not tempted by money, fame, beauty, importance, control, (laughs) but we just know that those things are false. We know they're not big enough for our heart. We know that Christ is the only one who fills us up. And as we know him more and have immersed ourselves in a culture close enough to people that we are serving and loving to see their own lives and for them to see ours, what seems to happen over and over in the history of the church is that at some point someone says, can you tell me about why you are like this? What is the deal with you? Why do you do this? And in that moment, all we have to give is a story of the reality of Jesus in our own lives. And God does the miracle. So I want to ask you, where where are you at in this process? Some of you are immersed in your culture, but you're not challenging it. You have lots of friends and family and people that you're, they don't know Jesus. They, don't, they haven't encountered the life-changing work and love of God through the person of Christ. And you're living with them, and you're in the culture with them, but you're not challenging at all. You're just swallowing whole what everyone else is. You're pursuing the same things in the same way. You're just as worried about money as the people who live next to you who don't know Jesus at all. You're just as obsessed with how people are perceiving you as the people you work with are. You're just as ruled by addictions that you have not tried to turn over to Jesus as the people that are with you. And so you commiserate together, but you're not challenging that culture. You're immersed in it, but you're not challenging in it. I would say if that's you, look for a chance to tell your Jesus story. And if you're saying, well, I don't know, I don't, the reality of Christ hasn't permeated, then we need, you need to love Jesus more. You need to know, actually, Christ, how do you change my life? How does this actually happen? Because I have nothing to say to anyone around me except my own personal encounter with Christ. And so some of you are immersed in that culture. You're not challenging, you're not, you're not boldly saying, look, all I have to say is this story. Forget all of the wise words and the think you need to have all of the answers. You don't. We need to be willing to speak words about Christ. And it's a very simple account 
of his story and your story and how they came together. That's the words we have. Some of you are challenging the culture in a sense that you're always at odds with the people you work with or your family. You're always feeling like, oh, I don't want to be a part of that. And you're judging the people around you. Maybe you don't do it out loud, but maybe that's kind of how you feel. You just kind of try to stay, w- stay away from people who don't know Jesus. And you're not close enough to them for them to see your life. You're not close enough to them for them to see the things that are growing in you that would make them say, can you tell me a little bit more about that? <laughs> you're not close enough to them for them to hear you sing about Jesus. And for that, I'm going to ask you, do you not have another song? We have to be close enough for people to see Christ in our lives. And so whatever extreme you go to, if that's you, if you're someone who's saying, well, I'm, I, I'm, I, I, I don't like getting close enough, who do you need to get closer to? Maybe there's one particular person in your life. You said, oh, I kind of try to hold that person at arm's length. Or they don't seem to respect me or my faith or whatever. I need to get a bit closer to them so that I can see where God is at work because God is everywhere. As Paul said, he's not far from us. Can we see the longings in their hearts to know, can I talk to you about that? Are we close enough to them to see where God is at work, for them to see God at work in our lives, for them to see and hear the song of Jesus that we have. And so forget about saving the whole world, but who's that one or two people, maybe that couple, that friend, that family member, that neighbor, that colleague, that you've maybe held at arm's length. And maybe even as you're sitting here, there's a name just sitting on your heart saying, I need to move closer to that person. I need to get immersed in their life and know them more. As much as they scare me, as much as I think they're not gonna you know, respect me or my beliefs, or they would be the last person, they would think all of this is utterly ridiculous. And that comes to the third part. How many of us are praying for a miracle? You know, this is where I, where I give up so easily. I think, oh, that person's not interested. Or that person had such a terrible experience with religion or the church, whatever, they'll never. Or they kind of think that what I do is weird. <laughs> I give up so easily. Or I think somehow I have to convince people about Jesus. How often are we praying for a miracle in the lives of people around us? And here's what I know. Maybe if you're, if you're scared to move towards someone, start with prayer. The more you pray for someone, the more your heart will change towards them. That's actually true about anything in life. Someone, someone you're angry with, pray for them. Someone you feel distant from, pray for them. You, will, you cannot pray for them any length of time without your heart changing and you moving closer to them. And God will open your eyes to see, I want to show you where I'm at work in this person's life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to speak Jesus' words to them. And so two suggestions for you if that's someone. One of the uh, practices that I've tried to adopt over the last uh, year is praying into my day. Like kind of knowing what I've got for the day, people I'm going to meet, people I might bump into. And I just pray in my mind through, God, in that conversation, you know, help me with this or help them or I don't know how to help them, so help me help them. little Jerry Maguire prayer. You know, help, help me see where you're at work there. Pray into your day. Don't go into your day unconscious about what God might be doing or might mo- he might want to do or the miracle he might do in front of your eyes that day. God doesn't work quickly, but he works suddenly. And you never know when that's going to happen. So pray into your day. 
pray over the people you're going to rub shoulders with, the meetings you know you're going to have, the people you're hoping to avoid, <laughs> the phone calls you might get, and the unexpected ones you think, I didn't, I didn't even plan on running into that person today. Pray into your day. And then on June 28th, on Sunday night at the ministry center, we're going to come together, and we're just going to pray for miracles for the people in our lives that needed Jesus' miracle to happen. All, all of us have people like that. And I know for me, I get energized when I come to you. I'm an extrovert, so I need, to, I need other people to pray with me for that. And so maybe you've gotten, you've grown tired or skeptical about praying for these people that you think, they just look at Jesus and think it's utterly ridiculous. They think the resurrection is totally false. They don't, they don't even believe a man like Jesus existed. They think all of this is ridiculous. Let's come together and pray and lift up those names and say, God, do a miracle in our lives. You're sitting here in this place because somebody prayed for you. I know I'm, I'm here because my parents prayed for me. And I know my parents know Jesus because a man from Canada went over to India when my dad was 17. He was a Hindu. He was becoming disenchanted with his faith, has lots of questions that my grandparents couldn't answer. He went to this seminar that he thought was a, 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 about the Christian religion, and he said, I was so taken with the person of Jesus. And he gave his life to Christ that night. Because someone went over there, and someone praying for that dude who went over to India, say, God, whoever, whoever he listens to him, do something in their lives. And that prayer was answered in my dad's life, and then it was answered in my life, and by the grace of God, it'll be answered in my children's life. You are here. Because somebody spoke a Jesus word over your life. And God did a miracle. And so therefore we say, okay, God, do something like that through us. Because this grace is too good for me to just keep to myself. Let me pray for you and the worship team is going to lead us in response. God, I just ask you, your commissioning over this group of people, this church, as we get sent out back out into the world we live today, tomorrow. As this summer we spend time hanging out with people, socializing, friends, family, people we haven't seen in a long time. God, help your church to be people who are so in tune with the culture and yet so bold as to challenge it. Help us to be so in tune with our own Jesus story that even this morning we would have an, an encounter with you again that we can say, look, I don't have all the answers about exactly how the world began or exactly how this happened, but let me just tell you what Christ has done for me. I pray that our Jesus story will be so welling up within us that it's like a song we sing about and someone will come up to us and say, do you not know any other song? And we would say, I, I'm sorry, it's all I have to sing about. Bless our church with a song in our hearts like that. And God, you do the miracle. You do the miracle in the lives of people we think are so beyond hope. And the fact is, we were so beyond hope as well. There is no reason, there's nothing in us that would have made us more likely to turn to you except that you did a miracle in our lives. And you reached in, maybe in our parents' life or our grandparents' life, or maybe we're the first one in our whole family tree for decades that knows Jesus because you reached in and said, this one, I'm gonna do a miracle for this one. And because you are gracious and reckless with your grace like that, would you do that miracle over and over and over again in the lives of the people that we know as we are willing to tell them our Jesus story? Bless your church and set us apart for that, we pray in your son's name, amen. Just remain standing for the benediction. I wanna bless you with three things this morning.
The first is, is a whisper. And what I want you to do now, just in, in this moment, if you feel like you want to do that, just whisper the name, just only loud enough for you to hear it, that person that you want to see that miracle happen in their life. And if it's you, <laughs> just say, me. <laughs> just take a moment. If you want that Jesus miracle to happen, just, just, just even now, let's just do this. Let's start doing this. Just whisper that name. Then put your hand over your heart. This is the second thing I want to bless you with. Not just a whisper, but a fire. We sang that song, burn like a fire in me. I just want to bless you with a passion to see people that you love know the love of Jesus. And lastly, just put your hand over your mouth. I can't do that because I got a tongue. <laughs> I want to bless you with a song on your lips. The song of what Jesus has done in your life. And if you're not there yet, but you want that, that all of these would be that he would make, give you a new song, a whisper on your lips for those that you want to know the love of Jesus, a passion in your heart that would not go out and be up and down no matter whether anyone thinks it's ridiculous, and a song on your lips that says, I always know that, I, Jesus, I sing for what you've done for me. Did you receive that? Amen. Thanks so much for coming. Just grab a seat.